Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 361, BGG Hotness, for January 2022. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Alright everyone, it's January, but surprisingly enough, it's hot, and for once, it's not global warming, it's board games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it is probably pretty hot in a lot of places, so I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Board games. Depending on, you know, your mileage may vary depending on where you're located, but nonetheless, it, it, the fact that it's generally hotter around the globe Let's say it's because of board games this time, right? Let's say there that there's go. so many great board games out there. It's not global warming. It's the hotness of board games. So we'll be talking about the hotness of board games for January 2022. A lot of great games came out. A lot of games are being talked about. And we want to bring you the latest and greatest that's hitting your tabletop. So, Anthony, that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. But obviously... I don't know, board games and games and money. We didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, uh, but there was a little purchase of a little video game company that people might have heard of. Yeah, yeah, a little something, something. Um, I Honestly, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about, I don't know why you're listening. Like, what are you doing? It's everywhere. All the geek media. Um, yeah, yes. Microsoft's buying Activision and Blizzard, which it's a lot of money. Like, I think they said it's the biggest... The biggest acquisition in tech history, maybe? Crazy. Like, just in jet all tech, which is crazy to me. Um, and so, yeah, sometime next year, that'll go through because it takes a while for those things to happen. Yeah. But it means Microsoft and the Xbox brand will now have control of Warcraft and Call of Duty and all the Tony Hawk. And it's, it's just yes. weird. It's a really weird thing. <laughs> so. Yeah. Seventy billion dollars later, and as you said, it's it's so crazy to think about the idea that gaming has gotten so tremendously big, right? Like mm. once upon a time, like the only people who gamed, whether it was video games or board games, was like these small subset of people that were called geeks. And now it's such a huge industry; it's bigger, right? Esports is bigger than traditional sports. And we just talked about recently has how Asmodee got purchased, which is incredibly crazy. And now here you have $70 billion later, all of these games are now purchased and all these companies. Because looking towards the future, clearly the decision has been made based upon all the numbers, despite everyone saying to the contrary, it's going to be a gaming world, right? It's This is going to be our future. Like getting things to the tabletop, getting things to the screen, this is it. This is going to be the way that we interact moving forward. So Microsoft, you know, throwing $70 billion at a game <laughs> company <laughs> is just like, I mean, if you didn't think gaming was going to be big before, this should tell you, right? This should be, this should be the sign between this and Asmodee. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. So... And they go on and on okay. like, oh, gaming's booming during the pandemic. I'm like, yeah, of course. What what else are we going to do <laughs> with our time? <laughs> and once people start playing, they don't want to stop. It's fun. It's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And again, like the same thing with the Asmodee purchase, how big. And again, this is not the end, right? We're going to see like more of this media become like bigger and bigger parts of our lives. Like, was it Wordle or uh What's a, what's a new game out there right yeah, now where everyone's playing? Yeah. yeah and, it, and it's one of those things that, like, everyone's talking about that, and you never really had things like that. Like, maybe you had Candy Crush or stuff like this, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's like this national phenomenon now on top of everything else. So it's really incredible, and it's great to see that everyone's, like, interacting in, like, a real cool kind of hobby way. You know, yeah. this is the idea of, like, Europeans and Germans, right? Like, the idea that, like, you should be playing games. <laughs> right? yep. Yeah, no, it's 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 awesome that we're all playing games and that the industry is booming. I don't know how awesome it is that one giant company is buying another giant company and now there's less companies and one individual, literally one individual, is now overseeing dozens, maybe hundreds of studios making games. 
that's yeah. never fun. We've, we've kind of seen oh. that with Day. We saw that with Fantasy Flight where it just like it diminishes yeah. output. It streamlines it. It makes it kind of icky. Uh, it doesn't mean it'll happen with Activision Blizzard. It's just anytime this happens, I'm always like, I don't know. I mean, that company, Activision Blizzard, has a ton of issues, which I don't know that we necessarily want to go into too much, but it's good yeah. to have new management in there because their old management clearly needed to be cycled out. But at the same time, consolidation, man, I don't know. Uh, no, it's it's never a good thing. There should have been a better, you know, it should have been a employee takeover maybe of the company. Mm. That would have been better. I know that there's, I don't know if it happened yet, but there's definitely conversations of unionization there. The idea is like, the thing about like why we've done the podcast for so long and why we love the industry so much is that individual designers get recognized for their work, including artists as well. And their name is on the box, right? You don't get to see that as they become these massive companies that kind of get drowned out and then it doesn't become special anymore. Like the idea of Etsy, right? Like the idea of like these custom things, like it's amazing. Like there's nothing better than something that's customized for you or whatever it might be. And then you get these giant companies that kind of swallow things up. And like you said, what asked one day is going to be true. Like there's no way it's not going to be true because competing products against you know other your own company is like ridiculous you wouldn't do that so and then obviously the idea of like even if you're generally a good capitalist you want competition this is not competition <laughs> this this is just <laughs> like and, and also too anthony i you might be more familiar with this than i am but like microsoft has done like not a good job but everybody that they purchase right like skype and like all oh, the yeah. other, you know, even Xbox, like everything that they put their hands on is just doesn't necessarily become better. So, no, no. I mean, that's I mean, and that was kind of Microsoft's modus operandi for a long time. Like, ah, uh, we can't yeah. beat them. Let's buy them. Right. And they, yes. actually, they got in trouble for that at a certain point. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. Xbox has been doing pretty good the last few years. They've kind of shifted away from making. I mean, they still make consoles and boxes, but now they're really like sign up for our service game pass yeah. and we'll get that everywhere. And so that it's a pretty good deal. It's pretty like accessible. Oh, yeah. I think it's the big thing. Right. And so the people running Xbox right now, seem to know what they're doing with the gaming, but at the same time, those, as we've seen in business, people come, people go, people are great. Then they are not great. It's, it's a human being and things are temporal and I don't know. Consolidation of power is yeah. never a good thing. And it's, it's much harder to break people apart than it is to keep them from joining together in the first place. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. I just, I, I worry about this just happening more and just having less companies because the fewer companies we have, we've seen it in board games, the fewer companies we have, yeah. the less accessible things become overall. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft did this with, with Bethesda last year, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so like, these companies have been around forever and they've been icons in the industry. It's just, we don't want to see the companies go. We don't want to, we don't want to see the staff go. We don't want to um, lose that innovation that really has made gaming so much fun. Yeah. Um, but eventually I, I guess that's just, there's a price. I mean, eventually we'll get bought out for several <laughs> billions of dollars ourselves. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. coming. You know, IGN will be knocking the door any minute. They'll be like, how many billions do you want? And like all the billions, all the billions. So How many billions you got? That's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> I told you all of them. We want all the yeah. billions. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is a little bit of what's going on the gaming front. Obviously, we'll keep an eye on all of the things because, you know, we did love those games. As Anthony mentioned, they, they had some insanely bad practices, which we talked about, and some revelations of the worst kind. So hopefully we can get back to gaming with better uh union management and better bigger company oversight i guess and hopefully things get a little more streamlined and productive in the future so anthony um let's talk about what's everyone's talking about obviously it's blizzard activision microsoft but it's also board games so what's our question of the week all right question of the week this week is in addition to game length recommended age and number of players what is one other piece of information you wish was included on every game box Okay. So what do you want printed on the side of that box so you know that information before you buy the game? Got a lot of good answers here. <laughs> okay. yes. uh, so one of the most common responses and 
uh, a lot of people ju- kind of jumped in and responded is average setup time. I, I saw that. Very interesting. Um, obviously, you know, David points out some people might run away screaming if you put that on some boxes like a <laughs> Glim Haven. Um, but I, it is a good one, right? Like if the box says it takes 90 minutes to play, but it takes an hour to set up, that'd be useful information to have, right? It's really yes. two and a half hours. Um, Andrew mentions an amount of randomness. So mm, interesting. chess being zero, you know, a dice game being a hundred percent. So I, I think that's a pretty cool idea. I, I feel like maybe it's cosmos does that a little bit. They have their little luck rating on the yes, back. They do. Uh, so the different companies do have different elements. Like GMT games also has complexity and solitaire suitability uh, on their back, the back of their boxes. Um, mm-hmm. but I'd love it to be standard, right? I want to know how random a game is. I think sure. that's helpful. Uh, several people said real game length, which good luck with that. I don't, I don't know where they come up with these numbers sometimes, but you know, um, Larry says pictures. I don't like boxes that try some artsy looking color design with no pictures. Wants to see what the game actually looks like. Good call. Cause you look at the back of some game boxes sure. and you have no idea what's inside the box. <laughs> that's um, true. Roman mentions primary mechanic. So deck builder, worker placement, set collection, tableau builder. Like what are the things I'm going to be doing in this game? And then genre, economic, combat, abstract, gambling, party, that kind of thing. Um, Basically some BGG category information. Um, Yeah. Complexity of the rules. And then if there's any targeted interaction. So like how much take that elements there are, how much you can interact with the other players. Uh, Aaron mentions that. And uh, Rick mentions the contents of the box. So how many pieces, cards, boards, etc. getting. A lot of rule books have this. But every now and then you get a game where the rule book doesn't have a list of components either. And then you just have to hope it's all there when you set the game up. <laughs> so like, I don't know what I'm getting. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot of good stuff. I Personally, I would love to know um, like what a complexity is good like i like the gmt puts that stuff on the back of the box and it's yes their own scale it's not like using bgg's five point scale but <laughs> yeah i think theirs is one to ten and then it's like a twisted sort of one to ten because they're you know a five on a gmt box might be a, a seven or eight for everybody else um yeah and then the solitaire suitability i always thought was really useful too because a lot of games now say one to five one to four whatever because they want to say they're solitaire but yeah. how much is it really solitaire? <laughs> like, uh, like, give me a rating. Like, or ideal player count would be cool too. Like, you say it plays yes. one to six players. What is the actual range? Is it really a three to four player game? Like, Ooh. yeah, I think I think especially you mentioned that last one, Anthony. I, I I've always felt that board games do the greatest <laughs> disinterest to them in the hobby when they just throw a random number on a box. Like, if you play Monopoly and you say it's one to six players, not one to six, but like two to six players, yeah, it's a roll, it's a roll of move, right? So it's pretty standard. It's pretty quick turns regardless. But all of these other games, like, depending on the player count, the game changes radically. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes the game doesn't change at all, which is, makes it even a bigger problem. So if you play a game with, like, troops on a map and there's only one map and the game plays from, like, two to six players, there's a radically different experience for two players versus six players, right? Like you play Game of Thrones, the, the board game, and you only have three players. Then like there's huge sections of territory that are going like uncontested throughout the whole game. And like if you happen to be neighbors to those particular areas, you're going to roll. So give me an ideal player count for the game. You could say it's one to six players, but like maybe ideally it's a four player game. This way, when I play the game for the first time, or if I want to have like the best experience, then I'm going to have the right player count. Because otherwise, what's the point? Because I'm going to play at a player count that I think I have available, and then it may be too many players, too few players. I know, Anthony, especially for you, like a, flat, a five-player game tends to be like <laughs> an issue in nope. some cases. Yeah, yeah. So that's probably the biggest thing for me is the ideal player count because. Games do not play one through eight. Like there's a good number. There's a solid number there. Like 
yeah. you play a war game or something like that, and it's like a three-player or four-player game. Like it, it depends. The other thing I would say I would add to that too is I would love to see either on the box or in like the rule book if you can give me a general idea of how much table space mm. a game takes. So before I empty a box out on a table that it will not fit on, <laughs> give me a general sense of like this requires a six by two table or a four foot round or something because like. That's always an issue too. Like you're squeezing the things to the ends of the earth. Um, I, I do think, like we talked about, you know, Asmo Day and like industries kind of getting like merged. I would like to have some industry standards. I would like Gamma to be able to say, like, look, you know, a you know a weight of a four is means the game is this complex instead of like every company. Like I think we joked about like yellow games when we played. Uh, we played that was it the Quora game, yeah. the one with the Roman Empire. And it was like they listed on their box that this was expert level. It's and again, it's not an easy game, but it's not an expert level game. It's just it's 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 not. It's just like why would you do that? Like you're literally yeah. scaring people away from your games. Don't say it's expert level. And then GMT is like, no, nah, it's a light game. It's not. Nah, it's fine. You're just like, oh my god. <laughs> it's like it's all yeah. over the place. It's crazy. So. But yeah, I think that's yeah mechanics, you know, game time, game stuff. Oh, one more thing, one more especially important thing. As games become bigger and bigger and more complex and become deluxe versions, especially where the expansions are included, dear goodness, can you not? You need to put in a schematic of how to put the game on. Oh my gosh! How, yes, like forget everything else I said. That's number one. Yes. <laughs> you get a game and it's it's a bunch of boards and you punch the boards and there's a bunch of random squares, plastic areas, and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do with these things? And then sometimes you just like later you find out like they just threw random like shit like there is no plan, or there is a plan, but you have to line everything up. Or there's there is a plan, but unless you put pack it away this way, you'll never be able to close the cover. Yeah. And that takes yeah. a long time too. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, that that is that is yeah. huge, like, and it's not hard. You print it on the, on the underside of the box, like Stegmeier has been doing this forever. Like, just print it on the inside of the box. <laughs> it's not a big deal. The simplest thing in the world. And again, you 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 created an insert, so obviously there was some thought behind it. And if there was no thought behind the insert, then just say so. Like, just say yeah. like, look. There's a plastic square in the middle. Throw your stuff in there. That's fine. <laughs> I just don't know what to do with these things. Yeah. So it's so, my favorite like, view. Like, I have six types of components, and there's nine squares. <laughs> I don't understand <laughs> what I'm doing here. <laughs> That's right. Or or they send you, like, bags in the game, and there's, like, 12 kind of components but three bags. I'm like, I don't why. Or they send you the bags, and the bags are all the same size, but sometimes they're too big. So it's yeah. like... You just basically throw those bags like into storage and you take bags out that actually fit the components. Yep. <laughs> it's like you have one bag, it's like three inches by two inches and it's holding like two pieces and like every bag is holding two pieces. I'm like, why was this a thing? It's not a thing. Stop doing this. You're making you're making yourself look silly here. Yeah. So good stuff. All right. So that's our question of the week. Please follow and you know, subscribe to wherever we are in the world so that we can get bought for billions of dollars. Billions. I swear, right now in the podcast, if we get bought for billions of dollars, I will share the money with you. I'm just saying. All right. <laughs> so subscribe so we know who to share the money with because that's what it's going to come down to. Any minute now it's going to happen, you're going to miss out because you didn't subscribe. But if you do, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, endless numbers of place to listen to us. So please listen to us and eventually rake in the billions because that's definitely going to happen. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for our question of the week. Let's get on to the games that we want at the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. So I have um, a new one from Garpill Games. That was it was actually at the top of the hotness a couple weeks ago, and I uh-huh. kind of flagged it to come back to. And it'll be on Kickstarter sometime this year. They have another Kickstarter running right now with expansions for Viscounts of the West Kingdom, which I was kind of met on, so I'm not going to back that. But yes. this one looks really good. It's called Legacy of You. Why You? Oh, uh, me? And, me? Nope. 
not Y-O-U, Y-U. <laughs> okay. Uh, famous Chinese hero. And it's designed Maybe? by Shem Phillips. No, okay. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I could be, you never know. <laughs> if I, I get the say... billions of dollars and I share with the Chinese people, maybe I could be a Chinese <laughs> hero. hero of China. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Oh, man. Um, all right. So, yeah, no, this game's about Chris. And <laughs> <Hey>. Nice. <laughs> That's what I'm saying all along. <laughs> Uh, so the the legacy of you is uh, it's a new game in the ancient anthology series. So this is so if you're not familiar with Garpel games, they release they have Raiders of the North Sea and then a bunch of games in the North Sea trilogy, and then they did mm-hmm. um, the West Kingdom trilogy, which they just completed with Viscounts, and they have all these expansions for each of those games. And then they have another mm-hmm. trilogy that's launching sometime later this year. I can't remember what it's called. It's South something. I don't remember, but. Mm-hmm. The Ancient Anthology series is games based on actual historical situations, right? So there's Raiders, Raiders of Cephia, Hadrian's Wall. Those are the two that came out in the last two years. And now Legacy of You is the third one. And so it's it's based on you, who was the kind of the famous for figuring out flood control in ancient China, right? Mm-hmm. So during um, the Xia dynasty... Uh, you the Great, basically, he built canals okay. and figured out how to re-divert water to keep everything from consistently flooding all the time, right? Because the Yellow River okay. was very deadly back in the day. And so this game is a solo-only game where you will be building canals and defending the village and dealing with barbarians and just trying to accomplish all these things that You the Great accomplished in uh, their lifetime. It's a campaign game which adds things throughout. So it's not not legacy because it's resettable and everything, but it kind of develops and grows over the course of the campaign when you play it. Uh, they say it's self-balancing, mm-hmm. so things will adapt to how you're doing, kind of like the legacy model of Pandemic did. And in general, Shem Felix makes good games. Like, they're not always for me, sure. but they're always good. They're always well-made. So I'm pretty excited about this. It looks cool. It's going to have worker placement, I'm sure, because it's a Shem Phillips game. It's going to have cards because it's a Shem Phillips game, but it's solo only. It's going to have some kind of me- mechanism to kind of manage that in. And it's not like, you know, a multiplayer worker placement game with solo added on. It's just built for one person. So I'm excited. I think it looks cool. Um, artwork is by Sam Phillips, same artist for the other games in the series. And sure. uh, I don't know. I don't know when it's coming to Kickstarter. I think they said the middle of the year, but uh, oh. it will be sometime this year because they have like three or four Kickstarters planned this year. And wow. I will probably be backing this because their games are generally inexpensive and they don't have a bunch of random extra stuff they throw on. So you can just get a little bit mm. early if you back it. That's good. At least that's and it's a different take in their, in their games. It's not something the same stuff, which is all all the same things we've seen a hundred times, especially from right. Shem Phillips. It's just variations of the same theme. So um, that's exciting. Right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. cool. I, I've, I haven't seen the mechanics in play yet, so I don't know. But just based on what I have seen and what they've described, it seems like a game that I would enjoy. So yeah. keep an eye open for it. Excellent. So a game that I'm keeping an eye on, and probably an eye from a little bit of a distance, is La Granja Deluxe Master Set. So this is a game that we've talked about quite some time ago. I mean, this this is a game way back in the day. And again, this this came out, and it's a good game. We've, we've talked about this on, I guess, BJ Live. We actually did a live play of this, and... I think it's one of those games, it's a longer game. It's something that we've talked about there. It's something that we've we've talked about in the podcast, the board game itself. Um, if you're not familiar with La Granja, um, this is from Michael Keller. And again, it's all about controlling a small farm. And basically, you are building out your farm as far as resources are concerned. So all of your fruits and vegetables throughout. And you have pigs on the farm as well. And you're trying to sell your goods to the market. And throughout the game, you're employing different workers to be able to give you special abilities throughout. The game has a lot of different types of mechanic. There is kind of an area control 
market area right in the middle that plays out and scores you points each and every round. But primarily what it comes down to is your own particular board management. You're building out that tableau. So as you build out your resources on the left and you build out your monies and your and your kind of travel and your donkeys to be able to take things to the market to the right, you're also adding cards to your top and bottom of your tableau. So basically each and every card has four different opportunities for you to use them. So um, again, resources one side, monies and other stuff on the other side, um, the workers, which become kind of like special abilities on the bottom and you slip them up there. And on top, they become market orders. So throughout the game, you are fulfilling these market orders based upon what's in your particular farm. And then you sell them and then you're able to place your market card in the middle of the board and there comes that area control. So with that said, that game was out for a while. It was a good game. It's definitely a little bit long. It's definitely, you know, can slow down. There's a lot of AP in that game because like you're getting a handful of cards and you're like, hey, I got this great card, but which of the four different things do I want to do with it? Or do I even want the card at all? So that's a thing. And then there's a lot of just kind of like, as you play a card or as you take an action, there's kind of like snowballing actions. So you are doing a lot of things in a game. This here is the deluxe version of it. So basically we're looking at a game from Board and Dice that has all nice fancy components. It has some new modules, especially from Stefan Feld. It has a solo mechanic, an automa from Dave Turchi. And then again, all brand new artwork and components. It's a much physically bigger game than ever before. In fact, you can get the super big version of this game. I don't know why you would do that, but you can basically pay double for this game almost and get a physically bigger version of the game. <laughs> your size may vary. I don't know how big your table is. If your table's that big, please invite me over with my billions of dollars and I will play this game with you. Uh, nonetheless, you have all upgraded components, upgraded cards, upgraded artwork. The game looks gorgeous. You have wooden components compared to a lot of the traditional kind of like cardboard paper components. And basically, you're going to play Lagranha. It's nothing radically different. Of course, they do have the opportunity to actually play with the, the expansion here. So it offers you a little bit more gameplay if you did not get the expansion. I know that I, I personally not played with the expansion. But if you're interested in LaGranha, again, upgraded game, good game to hit to the table. Um, currently, it is available for $90 plus an incredible mm. amount to ship the game out to you. And again, I already mentioned the super the, the larger version, which is $169. So again, a lot of lot a lot of expense for a game that was relatively inexpensive when it came out. And, I mean, the components weren't the best, but they were good components. And, again, it's it's it offers a lot of interesting mechanics. The price here, Anthony, might be a price that's uh, definitely too far, I think, at this point. Like, it's one of those things that's good, but it's basically a dice-rolling game, action selection, card placement game. All very good things, but at the price, I think this might be a little too far, at least until I get the billions. Yeah. When I get the billions then yes, I'll back this game. But until then, I think I'm going to have to pass. But I think it's something people should take a look at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, we've we've gone over this 100 times now, like these $100 Euro games that used to be $40. Yeah. And it's not just like it's a new game. They're like, it's a new game. It's 100 bucks. You're like, okay. But it's an old game that it's used to game. be affordable, and then they make it new, and it's not affordable anymore. I don't it understand. Is. And then there's this new, double new trend where, like, not only is it not affordable, we made another version that's even less affordable and that you can't fit anywhere. Like, if you look at the Deluxe Master Set, the Lagranda yeah. is what they call it, the big, big one, the board uh, is almost one by, it's a meter. It's a meter across. Yes. It's three yes. feet on. I, that's like the size of the table that you use to play Warhammer on. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> The funny thing is, too, Anthony, is like I've played this game several times. Mm. You don't need that big of a board. No. Like, this is not like War of the Ring where you have to put troops on the board right. and like there's not enough room. There's no reason why this board needs to be that big. There's just no reason for it. 
I mean, it I looks mean, pretty, but like the artwork's nice, but that's that's about it. Yeah. It even comes with bigger dice. Why would you need bigger dice? I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like this one, like I didn't even look at this at all until you put it on the spreadsheet. And I was looking at it before we started recording. And I'm just like, what are they doing? This is like Stefan Feld collection levels of dumb. Um, <laughs> like, and again, the yeah. dice are D6s. They're just standard D6s. Yeah. There's nothing special about them. Yeah. And the money's separate. So, you want the metal coins? That's an extra 30 bucks. You want the wooden donkeys? That's an extra twelve dollars. Why aren't the wooden donkeys in the box? It's a hundred dollar game. Put the wooden donkeys in the box. What are you doing? You would think. Yeah. Well, good this game, campaign though. will wrap. Yeah, it's a good game. This game will wrap up on Friday, February eleventh, two thousand twenty-two. Again, if this game was somewhat affordable, then I would say pick it up. Um, in this case, take a look at it. See see what your billions will take you, and uh, maybe this is something for your giant. Dining room table somewhere. <laughs> All right, so that's everything that we want to hit the table, and hopefully not too hard or not too big because that game is super, super big and heavy. Anthony, let's talk about the games that did hit the table. We'll let people know if they should run out and pick those games up because they're a solid buy and they don't call it cost a billion dollars. So if those games are playing, they should sit down and play them. If games are dodged, they should avoid them. Or if, in fact, those games that dreaded burn. Uh, don't burn them, recycle them, because it's probably better for you these days. <laughs> but uh, we'll let you know how great those games are. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right. So, over the winter break, and a little bit after, uh, I got a chance to play The Adventures of Robin Hood with my kids. Ooh, uh, nice. We have not completely finished the stories yet, because, again, I'm playing with my children. And, you know, we have to take our time. And when we lose, mm-hmm. we need a cooling off period. So, we can't just, like, die through and, and knock them all out. But... Um, we've gotten a decent away, amount of the way in. And so this mm-hmm. is a game I was really excited about because it's the first new game from Michael Menzel in a long time. He's done it, all the Andor stuff, which is one of my favorite adventure games. But Robin Hood is kind of taking the Andor formula, making it definitely more story focused and definitely a little bit more kid friendly. Right. We're removing some of the meatier mechanics from Andor, like the time puzzle mm-hmm. and the movement puzzle that was in that game. There are still time elements in Robin Hood. There is still kind of a movement puzzle to it, but it's definitely more freeform open exploration um, than what you okay. saw in the Legends of Andor. So how the game works is you have a big, massive board. It's very long, takes up most of my dining room table. And it has little pieces of cardboard that you can flip over, right? So it's perforations all over the thing. There's like 150 of them and they're all numbered. And you're going to be flipping these over for all sorts of different things, right? And so they represent different story moments. They represent the guards that are trying to catch you. They represent the merchants you're trying to steal from because you're Robin Hood. And that's what you do. You steal from the merchants. And there's a big castle in the middle. There's a village off to the side. And then Sherwood or Nottingham Forest off to the left, right? Um, and the goal of the game is to go through each of these chapters. I think there's 10 of them. I don't have it in front of me right now, but it's each of the chapters you're trying to accomplish something, right? And so some of them are very familiar from if you've read any of the stories about Robin Hood mm-hmm. and they, you know, you might be meeting up with Will Scarlet after he tries to rob you or trying to rescue little John from the castle or all these different things, right? Um, trying to win the archery contest. These Familiar stories, hopefully to a lot of us. Um, my kids don't know anything about Robin Hood. Apparently, I haven't showed them any of the movies. <laughs> so uh, it was all fresh to them. But thankfully, they enjoy it because otherwise this would have been a, a tough play. And the the centerpiece of the game is a storybook. This like 200-page bound book that comes in the box. And you'll go through it like a choose-your-own-adventure. Um, so each time you move to a certain location and explore it. You'll open the book. You'll find that location based on the chapter you're in and your current conditions. It'll tell you where to go and what to look for. And then you follow the different directions and maybe you find like a secret passageway or you uncover some treasure or you get hit by something, whatever it might be. Um, And so that's really fun. You never know what you're going to find. It's always different. Uh, You're always going to have some page that you're kind of locked into that's like, that particular chapter and so that'll tell you like what happens when you draw the red disc which usually represents the guards taking an action or you know if this special thing happens or this special thing happens i'm not going into super specifics because 
it is legacy style. Like you are going through a story, so it you know I could theoretically spoil it for people um, if they don't want to do. But the basic idea is each adventure, which only takes about an hour, they're pretty short. You're gonna mm-hmm. throw a bunch of stuff in a bag and draw it out one at a time. Those represent the players who get to take their actions or different things that might happen on the board. And then you go through this storybook and uncover various different things. And it's fun because you're literally uncovering things. You land on something, you flip it over, you know, and there's some tiles. You, we're like on chapter six or seven right now that we haven't flipped over yet. And I'm like, I want to know what's under there. And my son really wants to know what's under there. And I'm like, <laughs> they haven't told us to flip it yet. We got to leave it alone. He's like, but it's yeah. so big. I want to flip it. I'm like, but if you flip it now, <laughs> this giant tile in the corner. Um, it's fun. It's clever. It's a really interesting, accessible take on adventure games, right? So you, you have these little meeples that basically determine how far you can move. You stack them in front of you, and then that's your movement ability, right? And if you don't use all of them, then you get a bonus that you throw in the bag, which makes it easier to defeat the guards later. Mm-hmm. So you have a certain amount of movement. It's freeform. There's no grid or anything. There's no hexes. You just go wherever you need to go. You know, not through a tree, but on the paths, wherever you need to go. Um, and there's just a lot of really clever, fun, interesting ideas mixed into the game. Like, this is such a cool way to tell a story and such an interesting spin on adventure gaming, story-based gaming, cooperative gaming in general, uh, that does have that feel of Andor. There's no rule book. You jump right into the storybook. You go through the rules as you play, which is always fun. But it's also really family friendly right it's and it's fun for the kids it's not boring it's not it doesn't bog down it's not too long um mm-hmm. like they really like stuff fables too which is kind of gave a similar feel but that game just had a little sure. bit too much on the bone right it was a little too crunchy the games could take a little bit longer sometimes it took an hour and a half and it was just too much for them um robin hood is the adventures of robin hood is fantastic so this is a buy from me highly highly recommended it is. We just talked about how stupid expensive Lagranja is. This is like forty bucks online, so I think it's fifty wow. MSRP, which is for everything coming in the box, perfect, perfect price. So, kudos to Cosmos for not just making a really good game, but pricing it accessibly for families. Because if you've made it sixty or seventy dollars, no one's going to buy this thing. <laughs> um, but personally, I'm glad I have it. Um, it is a review copy, courtesy of Cosmos. I should say that. But mm-hmm. it, you know, regardless of that, I would have loved this. So, um, yeah, check it out. If you have kids, if you have non-gamer family members, I will say, like, if you are just a bunch of gamers and maybe you played Andor and you liked it, the game's not super complicated. You might find it a little bit simpler. But if you like storytelling stuff, you might still enjoy it anyways. It's still fun to go through, and it scales to, you know. Um, I feel like maturity and difficulty levels kind of scale accordingly in the game. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this game at PAX Unplugged, and I know you had talked about this really early on, and I was like, oh, that's that's cool, another one of these games. But, you know, we were talking about, like, really high-quality components and, like, things that, like, are overdone. I don't know if I have seen a... I don't... It's It's not a rule book. The the mm. book with all the stories and the features and how you play through that, that is just that book alone is fantastic. I haven't mm-hmm. seen something of that quality in a board game in a very long time. I don't. I'm trying to remember when I have seen something of that quality. Yeah, so, it's it's a hardcover book. It's not even yes. like we like we've seen these like spiral bound books that have come out like stuff yes. fables or coma knots or something. Yeah, and those are nice, but this is like a hard bound little book with like the ribbons and everything that you, it looks like a copy of Robin hood, like the kind that I read under my parents' bed when I was like eight years old. Uh, it's, it's so cool. It is. And again, like you said, with considering the price of this game, they're giving this game away. Like if, if you have family or if you have, you know, gamers that are, would be interested in this kind of game, this is definitely an easy pickup just because when I looked at it alone, this, this game is not typically my, you know, cup of tea. But the fact that the game was so high quality, the book, the components, everything involved with it, and the fact that they had, I think you mentioned, like with Andor, they've run through this system multiple times. This is not something new. This is something that they just do very well. So, um, yeah, definitely something worth checking out and definitely a big buy from you. So, yeah, across the board. Yep. Love it. All 
All right, so that's everything that's hitting our table this week. Uh, let's look to our feature review. Our feature review this week is about all the hotness that's happening in the world these days. The greatest games on Board Game Geek that everyone's talking about. Anthony, this is your moment. Let's take it away. <laughs> Woo, it's my moment. I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, do the thing. Our, I'm doing it. Uh, so BGG hotness. We got 50 games. I'm not going to mention every single one of them because... Some of them are here every single time we do this. Uh, but it's always fun to kind of go through and see which ones are new or which ones are rising or falling or whatever might be happening. Uh, so we'll start right there at number 50 because it's always fun to see why this game is here. Quacks of Quedlinburg. You know why it's here? Because of the Geek Bits. This is like one of the most popular <laughs> Geek Bits games on the Board Game Geek store. Whenever they come That's in, the they sell out reason. immediately. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, and they came in last week. So there you go. Number 50. <laughs> Um, Unsettled at number 48 this is a cooperative survival game with a bunch of weird funky stuff happening in space I know this shipped out to backers uh, from Kickstarter not too long ago Uh, Mm -hmm. kind of floating around here in the lower end of the list but I feel like if it finally hits broader distribution people will be all about it Uh, 46 we have the new Undaunted Stalingrad Uh, Undaunted is a two player card game that's been pretty popular as a kind of an alternative to miniature based war games This is the third or fourth release for it. So they seem to be building a series out of this uh, now. Uh, Number 45, Architects, Seven Winners Architects. This was just nominated for the Os... What is it? The the French Game of the Year Award. (laughs) I can't remember pronounce it correctly. But it was just nominated for that. Um, Chris just reviewed it last week here in the podcast. So if you want to listen to our our thoughts on that, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, Ben? French Game of the Year? Sure, sure, why not? All right, let's do it. <laughs> I don't know what the other two games are, so yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of very familiar games in here through the rest. Great Western Trail at 44. They're releasing new content for this every year now for the next couple of years, so I think some new information coming out about the next version of that. Um, Obsession on here, Oath Chronicles of Empire and Exile, Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy, the big, super expensive Kickstarter second edition that came out a couple years ago. Um, the interesting stuff, you know, kind of pops on the list here. We, we move up into the, a little bit higher up. Um, Thunder Road Vendetta at number 29 was sure. recently announced by Restoration Games, and it is on Kickstarter right now. So Restoration seems to be kind of leaning into the Kickstarter model of, you know, we're going we're gonna to remake this old game, but we're going to do it some crazy, big, stupid way. So we need Kickstarter funds to make it happen. Um, See, so you know, the Dark Tower and Fireball Island, same kind of thing. Uh, I feel like, I don't know what I played when I was a kid, because all these games from Restoration Games, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what this is. <laughs> um, I guess it was probably a little mature for me. It came out in the 80s, but uh, looks cool. I don't know. For those people who love their nostalgia, it looks cool. Number 28, Merchants of the Dark Road. Uh, this was very hot at PAX. They had copies there. People were running to hunt it down. And uh, the Kickstarter shipped out recently, so people are getting their copies and discussing it in mass. Uh, it looks interesting. It's a little bit on the lighter side. I remember this was on Kickstarter, and it didn't really capture my attention from Elf Creek Games, but it is very pretty looking. So I would like to see it at the table at some point. Uh, number 26, Boone Lake. This is the Alexander Fister game coming from Capstone. This, along with Arc Nova, which we'll talk about in a little bit, are shipping, I think they're in Europe, they're all shipping out now, and then here in the US, they'll be shipping out in the next two to three weeks. So we'll be seeing a lot more of that um, to come <laughs> as those games start hitting the table. Uh, 25, Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. Uh, people be playing some Terraforming Mars. I don't think there's any new information coming out about that particular brand of game at the moment but it's just kind of always lives on the list um wingspan's up here at 24 it's also always on the list but it's uh i know there's new content for the app being kind of tested right now so kind of bumped it up a little bit um we have radlands this is actually they're running ads right now on board game geek that might be part of why it's on the list um but it's interesting too because we one of our questions of the day that we posted recently about under 
discussed games, one of our regular listeners mentioned Radlands as a game that he would like us to cover at some point. So I do have my eyes on this as a kind of interesting two-player only um, post-apocalyptic neon fighting game. All those words go in there. Uh, It does look cool, though. Number 17, Marvel Zombies, a Zombicide game. We talked about this last week, and it's all the monies, as we thought, right? They're making all the monies. It costs all the monies. (laughs) Um, Number 13, Bitoku. Uh, This is the big, sprawling, just messy-looking Euro game um, from Devere that launched here in the U.S. at least at PAX. Um, I have a copy of my basement, which speaking of games that won't fit on the table that you set them up on, this is this game has a lot of stuff going on. And I, I have one table in the house where I could play it, and it's not a good place to play. So I'm, I'm trying to get this one done. But uh, it hit retail, I believe, this week. So people are getting their hands on this elsewhere. Uh, so we'll, we'll be covering that very soon. It is my plan to play it very soon. Uh, number 12, Iki. This is a game that I've been championing for six years since uh, maybe our second Gen Con that we went to. And so it got a re-release, updated artwork, updated production. And I believe it was also nominated for um, one of those French Game of the Year awards for like the heavier games. Mm -hmm. Uh, So a lot of good buzz around this game just in general, which is awesome because I've been saying it forever. And I'm so glad people are finally picking up on that. and you can buy it, which is awesome, because before you couldn't. You had to somehow find a Japanese copy, and that was not easy to do. So glad everybody gets a chance to play that now. Uh, moving up the list, we have at number 10, Cascadia. This is my game of the year for last year. I put up my top 10 on the website. If you haven't read that yet, check it out. But this was my number one game mm-hmm. for 2021. And it's just up there because people love it, and it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh Total War Rome, the board game, which we saw a preview of at um, PAX and uh, more information obviously going up from the the publisher, PSC Games. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm interested to see how this works just because anytime you convert a video game to a board game, it's either going to work. Some of them work really well, like Age of Empires. Some of them crash and burn, like Agents of Mayhem. Uh, So... We'll see how it goes. Uh, number eight, Lost Ruins of Arnak, also nominated French Game of the Year Award. Dune Imperium, also nominated French Game of the Year Award, um, which I think it's funny those were both nominated together because they kind of had the same mechanics. And yeah. it's, it's I've seen this conversation popping up more and more in different places of, I'm a Dune Imperium person or I'm a Lost Ruins of Arnak person. Apparently, you can't be both. So I don't, I don't know what the rules are, but you can't be both. Uh, but worker placement, deck building games, those are, and they both came out almost the exact same time in 2020, which is weird. Uh, number six, we got Purple Haze. This is a new war game um, f- about Vietnam, so heavy stuff uh, coming from Phalanx. And I'm sure it's crowdfunded. They crowdfund most of their games. Yeah, it looks like it'll be crowdfunded on GameFound. So. Uh, I don't know if you're a big fan of war games, especially from Phalanx, who makes really, really beautiful productions, which if you're used to war games, they're not always beautiful productions. So my copy of Hannibal and my copy of Successors from Phalanx, both of them are just fantastic um, quality games. So definitely worth checking that out if that's your kind of thing. Final Girl at number five. This is, they have the new season of stuff. So they had the first wave, which uh, I actually picked up some of it from PAX. This is the second wave, so a bunch of new um, final girls and monsters. I say monsters. They're not monsters. They're killers. Yeah, more, they're more monsters in this one than the last one. Yeah, that's true. So there's, it's, there's Some of them are straight out monsters. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. Yeah. Like, you're getting away from, like, just yeah. the, the tropey, tropey stuff. Um, so there's five new ones. So if you have the other five and you've played them all and you want new stuff, now there's five more. And you can get the first <laughs> wave of stuff, too, if you want. So Yeah, there you go. I don't mind this model, right? You have $20 to just get whichever one you want. You don't have to pay 300 bucks to get all of them together. Crazy. You can if you want, but you don't have to. <laughs> Especially when it's, like, genre-specific. Like, right. that's a genre in of itself, but then you have different flavors. So, like, mm-hmm. maybe you do, like, 
the movie The Thing, right? So maybe that's more of your horror area than like the, the typical slasher. So that's pretty cool. You get to pick what you want. So, you know, kudos. Yeah, I definitely dig it. Because when I picked it up, I got two of them, which was like the Nightmare on Elm Street and the Friday the 13th, the two that I picked up. Yeah. That's not what they are, but, you know, that those versions. Yeah. The other one's Legally interesting. Distinct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's a good model. I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four is Lagranha, the original version of the game. They've created a separate oh. entry for the Deluxe Master set, which is at number two, which we just talked about. Uh, number three is the Lord of the Rings, the card game revised core set, which comes out. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Whenever you're listening to this, it's out. So um, it came out on uh, January 28th. So this is a revision to the original core set of the Lord of the Rings, the card game. And so they've repackaged it. You can now play it one to four players out of the box. There's a new campaign mode to the game. So the most of the Lord of the Rings content before was standalone scenarios. And if you wanted campaign stuff, that was like the saga stuff. So if you want to play through the movies or the books, however you thought of those. Um, now you have everything's a campaign and they have the boon and burden me- mechanics that they've added in. So it's interesting. It is taking the content that was there before. They're not like making new content. They're just remixing all the old stuff with the new rules. Uh, but the original game is, I don't know, almost 10 years old. No, it's 11 years old now. So it's due for a, a, a remix. So it's good to see. Very and cool. then number one, which may have been number one last time we did this list. I don't remember. <laughs> Arc Nova. Uh, this is the big sprawling um, animal conservation zoo building game, whatever you want to, however you want to think of it, um, that is shipping in Europe right now. So I've seen pic- people posting pictures in the UK and then shipping here in the U.S. sometime in February. So this is the other half of the Boone Lake shipment that I I at least will be getting it. I did pre-order this, so I will be getting a copy at some point in the next month or so, and we'll see mm-hmm. if it lives up to the hype. I don't think anything can live up to that kind of hype, but we'll see how close it gets. So. It's true. It's definitely going to be one of those things. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care. Bye. See ya.